0: Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. Well, as we start, allow me to pray. Dear God, help us to realize that much of our transformation is our responsibility. How we think, how we speak, how we live, how we love. Give us courage to own our responsibility, and be willing to change. Work in us, God. Convict us, correct us, challenge us, for we want to be more like your son, Jesus, and help us to follow, to listen, and to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, our verse for this series has been Romans 12, verse 2. And it tells us to not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. You see, God wants us to be nonconformist, to be transformed. You'll either be conformed or you'll be transformed. And Jesus extended, as we saw last week, an invitation to follow. I mean, to every person imaginable, rich people, poor people, religious people, Irreligious people, spiritual, non-spiritual, people whose lives were messed up and peoples whose lives were so messed up, they didn't even realize how, how bad off they were. Now, Jesus did not simply say, believe in me, though we do that for our salvation. But it's not believe and then you're done. It's believe and follow. And in your following, obey. But even if you don't yet believe, catch this, begin to follow him. You know, as he called the tax collectors and the fishermen, they did not yet believe. They weren't even fully aware who Jesus was, but he called them to follow him. And Jesus didn't give them a rule book, but he made it clear, just follow me. Listen to my words. Watch me minister, watch me love. And follow me, go and do likewise and be transformed. And to be transformed, we need to be fully devoted followers of Christ. And the word that comes with that is the word discipleship. And we hear people talk about this all the time I want to be a disciple of Christ, which means I'm going to pray, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to serve, I'm going to tithe. I'm going to do my journaling. I'm going to fast and so on and so forth. But I know people that do all those things and still struggle. So let me ask a question. Is there a a pathway to help us transform even more? When Paul the apostle tells us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, it is this phrase that he's after, self-mastery. Now, self-mastery can sound a little zen or ethereal, or maybe it's something from a cultic view. But listen to what Paul says in Romans 12, verse 3, the next verse. For by grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. What did he say? Think of yourself with sober judgment. You know, that word soberly or, or clearly is the word self-mastery in the New King James Version. It is a self-government or a self-control. It's the foundation of a strong, godly, transformed life. Someone that's producing the fruit of the Spirit in their life. To be self-controlled. Actually, it's one of the fruits itself. If a person cannot govern him or herself, all the prayers and Bible reading will help, but there's still something that we must do. Now, the biblical writers use this word in various ways to behave in an orderly manner, to be sober, to be serious, to be sane, to be sound-minded, to be discreet, self-disciplined, prudent, and moderate. All these words are in the New Testament. You know, we spent the last two weeks talking about setting our goals and and making our lives something that God would be proud of as we write down the goals of our life, the purpose of our lives. And in order to do so, we have to be right-minded, sound-minded. And there's a mastery of our feelings and our emotions that allows us to make sound goals that God would have for us to make. I've been asking you to write down a goal each week as we go through this series. So you should have two down and one more this week. Just write down a goal you believe God wants you to have. And one of the ways you can do that is to listen to the words of 1 Peter 4.7, where Peter says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and be sober-minded or of a sober mind so that you may be able to pray. Well, what's he saying? Keep your mind focused. Why? Because it's hard to focus on spiritual things like prayer when you're easily distracted or unable to focus on the value of prayer itself or time with being still and knowing that he's God. A person who has self-mastery is even-handed and his passions are under control. He or she makes proper use of, of their drive and their desires and the manner of life is not of extreme, but of moderation. A person reflecting this quality will be making steady progress in growing into a perfectly balanced character of Jesus Christ. Now, that's a lot, but don't worry. We're going to unpack it the rest of this message today and in the coming weeks. You see, we were taught if we give our lives to Jesus, he becomes our master, and yes, 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 that's true. But so many places in scripture, we're commanded in our own spiritual journey what to do, how to be, how to think, how to rise up, how to take every vein and and, and simple imagination captive. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. We demolish. Notice that we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, I could say, Lord, would you take those thoughts captive? And he's going to say, wait, 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 wait. You take them captive. I'll be right here to help you. You see, some people are drawn to the smallest percentage of people in our country or even our community who post something or say something negative. And I got to tell you something, get, get ready. It's a trick. What's the trick? They want to get you involved deeply in what they're saying. And it's a small percentage of people. I found out from a pastor friend of mine that there were a couple people that were posting things negative about his church. And the names of those accounts weren't even legitimate. They were fake accounts where some person who owned all those fake accounts was saying things in different ways. And people in his church were coming to him. Did you hear that? Did you see that? And finally, they tracked it down to somebody who doesn't even live near them, who was just finding churches and saying bad things about them. And people were saying this. Did you hear? Do you know? See, let me give you something that's powerful in that regard. What other people say about you is none of your business. Yay! But whatever Jesus says about you is all of your business. I love it. I'm going to say it again. What other people say about you, none of your business. Let them say it. But whatever Jesus says about you, oh, take it to heart because that's all of your business. It is our call to be serious about the arguments, the pretense, and we need to take those thoughts captive. Now, for athletes, musicians, artists, engineers, people that excel, there's a sense of of focus and purpose at a whole other level. I heard a story about a young lady who was severely autistic. She had excessive compulsive disorder disorder. ADD. I mean, real deficits in her life. And somehow she was given a a cello. And she loved the sound of that cello. And she began to practice some seven to eight hours a day. And the focus on her playing the cello intensified. She became a world-class cellist. It was her mastery over all that ailed her or over all that was classed as a deficit It was overcome. You see, behind every expression of excellence is mastering our insecurities and our stinking thinking, lies we've been told or lies we tell ourselves. It would be so nice to simply say, um, Holy Spirit, change the way I think. Just change me. But think about this. Think about this. Bible reading. You can ask God to help you every morning read your Bible, but if you don't wake up and open the pages of the Scripture, there's not much he can do about it. Now, he can meet you in the Word because he breathed these words, and he can take the Scripture and make them come from there to here and then to now, and he'll meet you there. But you got to open the book. I mean, you give your life to Jesus, the most beautiful and sincere act we will ever do. It's beautiful. And giving God ownership of your life does not release you from the responsibility for your life. So I gave my life to Jesus, and he owns me. And then he gives my life back to me and says, what will you make out of it with my help? Think of the story of Cain and Abel, two brothers who brought offerings to God. And the Lord looked favorably upon Abel and his offering, but not on Cain's offering with favor at all. And Cain was, well, he was fuming mad. Look at Genesis 4, 6. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. For sin is crouching, at your door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its, look at that word, its master. God tells him it's up to you to master the sin that's crouching outside your door. I will reward you when you do what's right, but it's up to you to choose. See, here are the consequences of Adam and Eve at play. They were given a choice in paradise. Enjoy this place but do not eat of, of this one tree. And what did they do? They ate. And then they blamed each other and they blamed the serpent. You see, the choices they made would now impact all of humanity. You know, some of us, well, some of us thought that, that after the fall, we lost the power to choose. But here, Cain was given the power of choice. You can do what's right or you can choose to do what's wrong. You can allow sin to control you, or you can master it. Cain, watch out and be careful. How many times has God warned us? But you must take control, he says, and master it. You see, the idea of self-mastery is not some wild idea, but in this story, it's God's idea. We make choices that impact every choice that we will make going forward. And when we cho- choose Jesus, that choice impacts every choice going forward as well. Cain, this sin is desiring to control you, but you must subdue it and you must master it. You want to talk about profound words? The first thing I want you to see, and it's deep, mastery begins with ownership and responsibility. I love when people say, I own this. I own my attitude. I own my mistake. I own my sin. See, Who you are has been impacted by the choices other people have made. When you were young and you were vulnerable. But if you're not careful, you would choose to live your life as a victim. And I know it's not fair. And I know it's not right. And it's easy for me to say, bad things happen to you, but get over it, right? It's easy to say. But even when the choices others have made caused wounds to happen, or maybe abuse was the result of their choice, and all of that pain, God wants to heal us. Now catch this. It may not be our fault, but it's our responsibility to move toward healing and wholeness. We cannot allow our past to, to crouch at our door and master us. And when Jesus comes into our lives and his Holy Spirit is, is, is in us, he heals us. That's what he wants to do. But even then, you have to allow God to heal you and choose to repair your life. The more we take responsibility for our lives, the more we can find the power to allow Jesus's healing work to take place. So God was so clear in his instruction. You know, we back up a little bit to Adam and Eve. Do not eat this tree. Why would God do that? Why would God give them a free choice? You ever ask that question? Because love demands freedom and free will. If if the man and the woman did not have the freedom to choose, they would not have had the freedom to love. He gave us earth, he, he gave us the garden, and he gave us ownership for what he created. And the serpent comes and convinces the woman to eat. Remember Genesis 3, looking at verse 6 now to verse 13. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was so beautiful and and lush, and the fruit was so, well, it was shining and looked so delicious that she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. So she took some of the fruit, and she ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. Wow. And at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they... Well, they sowed fig leaves and tried to cover themselves. And when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and the wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden. And so they hid themselves from the Lord among the trees. Then the Lord called to the man, uh, Adam, where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I, so I hid myself. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord asked him. Have you eaten from the tree? whose fruit I commanded you not to eat. Now the question was, did you eat from the tree? Did you eat from that fruit? And the man doesn't answer God's question. What does he do? It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Then the Lord asked the woman, what have you done? And the, the serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. No one takes responsibility or ownership for their choices. You see, when God challenges the man he blames God. He did did it by saying, it was the woman you gave me. And the woman said, it was the serpent that deceived me. And that's why this has happened. It was a woman. It was a serpent. It was God. They don't own it. Adam was asked by God, did you eat the fruit? He doesn't even answer yes or no. He said, it's the woman's fault. And Adam blames the woman. And the woman blames the serpent. And the first thing that happened after the fall of man, catch this. It's a life lesson. They stop taking responsibility for themselves. See, you could know more about a person by how they explain a failure than the failure itself. Do they take responsibility? I think about Jesus who took on our sin. He made himself responsible for sins that he never committed. So here's a challenging question. Get ready. Who do you blame for your life? Who do you blame for your life? Sometimes there are people to blame and they deserve the blame, but that blame will not heal you. And as long as you blame someone else for your life, you are giving up responsibility for your life to be transformed. The second thing is taking ownership for your life allows you to take hold of the power to change your life right now. You see, nothing will transform us more powerfully than how we respond to our circumstances right now in this moment. And how we respond to what has and is happening to us is what we have complete control over. We can't control what other people have done, but we can control how we respond to what people have done and are doing now. We take ownership of our life and then we find our power in Jesus to change that life. Now, there's differences between choices and outcomes. And no doubt this has happened to you. Will you ask God, to? can you change the outcome? Now, I recall one night driving home from some Foursquare meetings in LA. It was late, it was dark, and I was tired. I drove down that morning early. Was in meetings all day and I'm driving back and I am tired. And I was about to stop in Goleta and get gas. And as I got off the freeway, for some reason, the gas station lines were really, really long. And I thought, well, I'm not going to (laughs) wait and put gas in my car. And so I put down my right foot, hit the gas, and got on the 101 and just started going to Lompoc. And as I was driving, Northbound on the 101, you know the the road. The wind was blowing, my car was swaying from side to side, and my gas light came on, reminding me that well, I made a bad choice. And I prayed, Lord, please get me to Lompoc, please get me to Lompoc. And I thought I heard a little whisper. It could have been God, with some deep wisdom. You should have gotten gas. <laughs> You know, we could pray all day long for God to help us dodge a consequence, but we need to pray really hard about our choices and master them. You see, the real evidence of a spiritual person, someone who's spiritually mature, is to stop involving God in the outcomes, but in our choices. To stop praying, God, get me out of this mess, which God will hear and oftentimes does, But to start praying, God, would you help me now as I make this choice? What if Adam would have said, God, God, where are you? The woman is asking me to eat the fruit you told us not to eat. I need your help, God. Or what if the woman would have said, God, where are you? This serpent here is trying to change the very words you spoke to me. And I want your words more than I want to hear from him. Please, God, come and help me but Adam nor Eve invited God into the choice. Listen, we need to invite God into our choices. We need to invite God into our pain and our hurt. We need to stop blaming other people because it's not healthy and it's a waste of our time and energy. So how about this? How much ownership do you have over your life right now? In what areas do you need to take ownership right now? Your health your finances, your career, your time and how you serve, your personal ministry, your marriage, your parenting, your grandparenting. There's healing that comes when we stop blaming and we stop holding grudges. When we forgive others, we're releasing their power over us and we're making room for the power of the greatest forgiver of all, Jesus Christ himself. You're giving Jesus a place that allows healing to come. You see, the power of self-mastery is then realizing as you look at the essence of who you are that you need God more than anyone or anything else. And the more you look at yourself and inside yourself, you know that you're inadequate, so you need God. Where you say, Jesus, I'm giving you all of me. I surrender my hopes and my dreams and my life to you. And if you're listening to me right now, And you know that you can choose to be responsible for your eternity because Jesus gave you that choice to believe in him, the one who died, the one who rose again, the one who desires to live inside of you. And you say, Jesus, I give you my life. I choose you and all that you have for me. Lord God, I want to follow you and I want to own my life so much that I lay it down before you that I give you my concerns and my cares. I I lay all my anxiety at your feet. I don't want to look to others and cast blame on others, but I want to look to you as my great Lord and my Savior and allow you to heal me. So we say this, Jesus, we give you our lives, and we choose you. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.